And so I actually ended up dropping out of high school, not once, but twice. I never graduated. And while all my friends were off to college, I was living with my parents, gaming up to 16 hours a day in their basement. I remember I was, I was drunk when they handed me my son in the hospital. They didn't know I was drunk. I worked with people who could stay abstinent from crack cocaine. And then they went back to prison because they could not stay abstinent from marijuana. They will send inappropriate pictures, primarily of their body parts. Our teens will send back their naked pictures or partially naked pictures. I had overdosed in eighth grade. I think that was shortly after I was suspended. Our teens are going through their hardest life transition in a world of rapid change and information anarchy. These are their stories and the advice from experts dedicated to helping them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I am your host, Aaron Huey, and my guest today is Diane McKinney from Able to Sail. Diane, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. No shoot. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate the opportunity. We've known each other for a couple of years now. And while I very much enjoy your company when we see each other at conferences or talks or uh, wherever, what I know and what makes me so in love with you and so in love with the work that you do is what my kids at Fire Mountain experience when they're with you. And I brought you on because you have tapped into what we here believe is one of those secret sauces of recovery. And I want you to tell our listeners, the parents, the teachers, and clinicians, what Able to Sail is and uh, what you do if someone like me or a therapist or a parent or a teacher would bring a class to you. What what do you do with kids when they show up to you? You know, Able to Sail is kind of a, a crazy and incredibly unique program that just kind of, uh, you know, if you have any spiritual roots, it just kind of wrote itself um, and pulled right out of my heart. So essentially the the groundwork for able to sail is it's not, you know, they learn to sail the first day and that's great. But what we do is very intentionally take every lesson that we teach them about sailing and in a like Tony Robbins empowerment seminar kind of thing you and I would go to um, every day, we talk for a good hour or two about how can you take what you learned about sailing and apply that to your life. You know, the basic premise you hear all the time is you can't run from the wind, but you can adjust your sails. So we took that just so many steps further and you know, essentially that one of the first things you need to know is to turn a boat left, you actually steer to the right, which is crazy and backwards. And it's not how they ride their bike and hopefully not how they drive their car. But so it requires a change in thinking. And, you know, essentially what we're looking at is how can we change your thinking to create a, a so much bigger level of self-esteem so the behaviors fall away? You've heard me say before, beliefs drive behavior. You know, if I'm standing in the middle of a road and I believe a truck is going to hit me, my behavior will be to get out of the way. And so when we see that everything that we do is driven by a belief, 
then we can start looking at, at the beliefs instead of just like, well, stop doing that behavior. You know, there's a reason for everything we do. And, and it happens so fast. I call it going from zero to 100, you know, in a split second. But it's it's really breaking that down and slowing it down. You know, we've got a, a, a like a 20 point curriculum of in it, it. You know, we don't go through all of them all the time, but of how do you change your thinking? You know, how you there's such a mind body connection in everything we do. And it gets in at a cellular level that, OK, my body knows that it can change its thinking. And I got to tell you, Aaron, I never knew that. I thought my brain was just driving me and I was stuck with these beliefs. You know, I'm not good enough, girl. And so the beliefs we're talking about is you know, I'm not good enough. I don't matter. I don't belong. There must be something wrong with me. I'm a mistake and whatever that is. And so we really roll it back and look at wh where did you come up with that? Because I don't know any babies that are actually born. going, Oh, my gosh, I'm such a not good enough baby. And when we can look at how we created really those beliefs in this eye-opening way of logic, then we can look at how can we change them and understand you can, it's everything. Man, just in that first few minutes, you have, you know, I told you when we were off the air that just you talking is going to inspire a bunch of questions and, you know, a desire to really get to know what you do for the parents, teachers, and clinicians who are listening. And something that you said at the very beginning that really, that I love is this, take the lesson and apply it to your life. I want to, uh, can you give an example of just one of the sailing lessons and how it applies? What, when, when you say, Hey, this thing we did today, can you guys tell me how this applies to your life? Because you've done this so much, you know, the answer that they're going to ultimately get to. Can you give the the listeners an insight on what you what you mean by apply it to your life. Yeah, I'm going to try and steal two responses on that one. One of the most basic things is you've got to be looking forward when you're sailing. You've got to be looking around and, you know, not looking back and looking down or whatever it is. And if you can keep looking forward and let go of what's behind you, mistakes you've made, uh, things you've done, and all the, the self-judgment, if you can let that go and keep looking forward, then there's no anchor um, holding you back. And there's another pun. One of the biggest things that I love teaching is that, you know, we put two kids in a boat. They're little sunfish boats. And ultimately, the goal is to sail by yourself, you know, so sailing solo. And so we close each day. We go around and my question is, what did you do well today? It's how you feel is up to you. So are you willing to say, you know what? I did that today. I let down my walls. I made a friend today. I'm usually impatient. I stayed in there and I got results because I know for me, my life is a story of approval seeking. You know, mom, please just tell me I'm good enough. Please tell me you're proud of me. Please, please, please. And I never knew I could feel good about myself all by myself. I thought I needed her permission. I thought somebody had to tell me that. And so when I found out that I can actually be proud of me without needing my mom to say it. And oh, by the way, I don't think she ever did, you know, in her lifetime. It's just she was incapable of doing that. But sailing solo is, is the goal. And truly, you know, dependence on people um, has been my biggest 
downfall and my challenge. So talk about your your life for a minute, how you ended up here. How did, how did go way back to the, and man, what you just said, Diana, just, it hit me home. Being proud of me without you. Like I, I that's what an amazing statement. So go back and tell us how you ended up here with this. I work with kids from Fire Mountain, kids on probation, and I also work with church groups and sports teams and what I call looking good kids. And I was a looking good kid. You know, on the outside, I had a full ride to Harvard, and I was uh, selected for the Olympic Sports Fest as a soccer goalie, but still, I couldn't get my mom to say I'm proud of you, and so nothing I did ever made me feel like I was good enough. I was the perfect kid, but in this lifelong quest of needing her to tell me, you know, okay, we're, we accept you, you know, and, and let me backtrack. Um, we've talked before about I'm adopted and I actually didn't even find out I was till I was 18 years old. But within all of that, some beliefs were created for me of there must be something wrong with me. Nobody wants me. I must not be lovable and I'm definitely not good enough. And so my life became this uh, constant, I've got to do better. I've got to, I've got to be the best because if I'm not, you'll get, you're going to get rid of me. And I didn't know that. I didn't know there was, I wasn't a conscious thought, but it was, I lived my life in desperation, being as great as I possibly could, but still always falling short. You know, I had a mom who I would come home from a soccer game and say, mom, guess what? I set the record. I got the most saves ever. And her being at the game, she said, yeah, but if you would have gotten that one, you would have had a shutout. You know, there's a very fine line between trying to cheer someone on and shattering their soul. And my soul was shattered, you know, so my life went in a direction of, you know, I found drugs and alcohol when I was not even until I was 18, but they changed my whole world because I could talk to people, you know, um, and unfortunately, the story goes to, you know, just drinking at high school parties so I could participate, not be so scared of everybody's judgment. You know, it, it became the lifelong medicine for me of when anything hurts, you know, I'm, I'm going to medicate it. When anything feels good, I'm going to make it feel better. But ultimately, the downfall of that is is when the thing that makes you feel good starts making you feel bad. And then how do you get off that? I believe that my story has been a perfect spiritual walk for me to see and to learn what I needed to see and learn so I could let go of this uh, fear of, of being alone. Because if you get rid of me, I'm going to be alone. Um, and I'm not lovable because, God, I can't do anything well enough. So I had um, two or three six-year periods of sobriety, and, and I did the 12 steps, um, you know, and, and, and I figured out how to be the best in there. Like, I could teach you more than anybody else can. But what was never dealt with was this underlying belief that there must be something wrong with me, and I'm not good enough. I went to the police academy, <laughs> which, if you know me, you'd laugh at that. But I went because I realized afterward, they expelled me. 
from the police academy, they said I was cheating. And I said, you know what? I had a full ride to Harvard. Um, I might be a little smarter than you think. (laughs) (laughs) But it became this thing if it was devastating to me to have to say, no matter what I do, I'm not good enough. And I'll always be a failure. And at one point, I decided I quit. And um, just it was a five year relapse, uh, four years, nine months and four days to be specific. And then the, the fifth rehab I went to, they did the craziest thing and took us to see a woman speak at a Center for Spiritual Living. And she stood up there in an audience of 1500 people. And she said very dramatically, just paused and said, y'all, I have to tell you that you are enough just the way you are. You always have been just because the people in your life are unable to show you that or tell you that does not negate that truth. You are enough and we need you. And I was so thirsty to hear that, that it didn't matter. It was coming from a stranger, you know, and I decided pretty much in that moment that I'm going to do something to let every other kid know that before they're 45 years old. So able to sail came to be one because I was unemployable at that point. (laughs) (laughs) All entrepreneurs are unemployable. (laughs) (laughs) We hate working for other people too, but it was, it was out of necessity and it was so perfect. You know, it, it was the perfect storm to lead me to what I'm supposed to be doing. What I like so much about Able to Sail for the kids, whether it's a sports team or kids in rehab or a one-on-one client that you're working with, what I love so much about it is that there is a safe risk. And I use that term because anybody who's been dealing with with self-harm, you know, addiction, um, you know, suicidality, they, we all understand risk. People who are going through that stuff completely understand risk. But this is a way of letting them dance on an edge and have the emotional highs, have the energetic highs, and not um, be in real danger. They might feel like it at times, but they're wearing a life jacket. And also, even if they're not that good of a swimmer, it's Colorado. How big is the damn lake anyway? So it's it's a safe place to take a risk. And I love that about what you do with the kids. Yeah, you know, there's there's really something to that. Um, You know, people ask me, why sailing or, or why this? You know, I don't swim. I'm terrified of water. You know, which I got to tell you, makes me a very good sailor because that boat's not going to tip over if I have anything to do with it. But we make them tip over the very first day. And, you know, I, I talk them through this thing of, of fear is just a thought. It's a thought that the worst possible thing that could ever happen is for sure going to happen. It's going to happen to me right now. And so to work past this, because they have to. <laughs> I ask them to pretend that they're brave, just like they're they're in a TV show and they're Iron Man. And for 30 seconds, just pretend you're brave and I'm going to tip the boat over. And at that point, you'll be fine. You'll be floating like a just bobbing and you'll realize that you actually were brave. And so how do you continue to transcend thoughts? Because thoughts always keep us back. 
and projection. And what if I put myself out there? You know, my favorite quote in the world is Marianne Williamson. Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. And I found that to be true for me, you know. So I don't know. It, it's an amazing thing that um, nobody, most of the people in Colorado have never <sighs> sailed, you know. It's not like we're picking up, you know, going from like, say, basketball to lacrosse. And you're going, okay, there's a ball in basketball. There's a ball in lacrosse. I, okay, we're going to throw it or kick it. Okay, I, I know something about doing things with a ball. And you don't know anything about doing anything with sailing. So it really level sets that nobody's got an edge. And we may do it, you know. Um, my, my wife grew up on a, on a massive lake in Maine, a very, very big lake. She grew up sailing. Uh, her father you know, owned a, a beautiful, beautiful sailboat. And the first time she told me we were going to go out there and get out on the boat into the lake, um, I immediately went out and purchased a cold water survival video because <laughs> I was racing in Colorado. I had no idea what we were getting at. And then when I was on the boat, I was like, oh, like it's, it's this. It's amazing. What I – what I see that your program does so well is teach about how to make choices. Mm. And all that, that's, you learn the basics. Like you said, you teach them how to sail on day one. And the rest of the time they spend knowing, let's call it the value system of sailing, right? They know what you, the kids know what you have to do to sail correctly because they learned it on the first day, but they practice the rest of the time with their with that they're with you making bad choices. It's a, it's a good place to, to do it wrong. Yeah. You, you know, you said the word practice. Um, and you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, have you, have you heard of the term um, spiritual got it? And you're probably shaking your head going, what? <laughs> it doesn't exist. But the term spiritual practice, you'll hear all the time, especially in recovery. Uh, one of the lessons we teach is, you know, we don't always have wind. And so there's a, you know, if you're not practicing and you can slough it off and kind of do this and nothing's going to happen. But if you're not practicing with exactness how you move from one side of the boat to the other and, and all the steps there are to do that, if you're not practicing in the calm there's absolutely no way that you will suddenly be able to do it when a storm hits, you know, and that's, that's such a 12 step lesson for me. And you'll hear in the rooms of, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I got sober, got 90 days, you know, that meditation prayer thing. That's a good idea. I will use that if I need to. And when you don't practice, when nothing's happening, you have no tools when something happens. It's one of the hardest lessons to get through parents when we talk about boundaries or we talk about not enabling or we talk about consequences or we talk about difficult conversations, we say you have to practice this stuff when nothing's wrong. You have to, you have to have those conversations when things are going well because you're not going to do it well when things are going bad. You're going to forget everything and retreat to conditioned behavior. But you have them in an environment that they may know nothing about. What kind of 
preconditioned behaviors do people bring to sailing that just doesn't work? I, I mean, I, I can think of what, what I would do if I got on one of your boats because I don't sail. But what do you see addicts, at-risk kids, what do they do when they get on these boats and they retreat to what they know? You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of what comes up is just deflection and avoidance and, you know, trying to play it cool because they're so afraid of making a mistake or looking stupid um, in front of their peers. You know, we teach them that um, we, we had a week where there was pretty much no wind all week, which you can imagine wasn't fun. But one of my counselors said, um, you guys, not sailing is part of sailing. And we do surveys. And the question at the, the last day is, finish the thought, what I learned about myself is. And this kid said, what I learned is that if not sailing is part of sailing, then not getting it must be part of getting it. Brilliant. So I was brilliant. I know I had to use that for the last four years now. <laughs> um, but it really is just a matter of being willing to try, you know, and and not step away and not stay on the outside because you won't look cool, you know, but then you have no idea how to do anything. So, you know, it's, it's avoidance is a huge thing. You know, people are, society has created this thing where if you make a mistake, that means judgment, 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 when really it's mostly internal. But a lot of that is, you know, when, when people are in fear and especially kids with drug and alcohol issues is that it turns into anger. And there's a lot of flare-ups that, you know, if a 12-year-old comes over and says, hey, let me help you with that, and you're a 16-year-old gangbanger, and you don't know what you're doing, you know, then you they throw a temper tantrum, like, I'm not doing this, it's stupid, I didn't want to anyway, da-da-da-da-da. So there's a lot of working through that and, you know, helping them be willing to just give it a shot. It's really hard to teach kids who are so afraid – and intensely um, affected by peer pressure that success is a product of failure. To know that to do it right the first time teaches you nothing. If you're yeah. good, then you'll do it exactly the way you did it right the last time. And that will only work one tenth of the time because the environment may have changed. So I love that. I love that there is this place for them to fail. The other thing that I that I see is there's immediate results to what they're doing. They don't have to stick around and say, okay, we'll see how this plays out. Like it's playing out right in front of you. Yeah. One of the greatest things, I'm a rock climber also, you know, a number of on the edge kind of thing. Yeah, but Diane, is there anything that you're not? Okay, so now I got I got soccer player. I got almost cop. I got, yeah, where, where, is, there anything, is there anything you don't do? <laughs> you know, what a perfect lead-in question. I don't play the piano. <laughs> but, but I absolutely desperately want to. And, and it, it's, I even talk about it at camp because I've been so gifted and blessed with who I am that really I can pick something up and be adept at it the first time. 
And so the whole idea of needing to work for something and not just have it is has been alien to me. I play the guitar, I play the drums, I can read rhythm, but I cannot read notes on that those lines. I don't get how they do that. Um, I tried to wing it, and but I won't do it because I, I'm scared. You know, it's frustrating. I don't know how. I don't get the practice thing. I keep trying to figure out a shortcut or there's got to be a trick involved or, <laughs> you know, but I love the piano. I've made up about 15 minutes worth of music that sounds, you know, like Yanni and, but that's it. <laughs> Just because I don't know how, I don't want to ask because I don't want to look stupid. So how do you coach a kid through that? Knowing that you go through that and that when it comes up that you don't know how to do something, it's one of your biggest and oldest, deepest and darkest triggers. So a kid says, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do it. Well, usually they don't say, golly, I don't know how to do that. They throw up a, a, an attitude and I don't care and it's stupid. Each kid is different. And a lot of it comes from me falling on the sword first saying, dude, I get it. Let me tell you about me and the piano. You know, <laughs> it's not a surprise that that comes up and just asking them to try because the thing is, like I said, fear is this huge boogeyman out there of the worst possible thing happening. And nobody wants to say I'm afraid. They're just going to say that's stupid. But, you know, I have the, the response always is, I can't leave you unsure. We can work through this. I will tell you everything I'm afraid of. Hopefully we'll find a connection in there, you know, because when there's somebody that you look up to who's being so open and vulnerable, um, you know, I, I, I've studied uh, Brene Brown and read all of her books and, you know, she talks about how that moment of fear and that if we could just make it what it actually is and pretend you're brave, then you can get through it. Yeah, well, you're, you're talking about like it's so often the fear of the thing is greater than the thing. You bet it is. Yeah. And, and it's, it's because we have all these past and triggers and, you know, you know, mommy didn't or daddy didn't or mommy did or dad did packed into I don't know how to do this thing or I've never experienced this thing. So I don't know what to expect. So therefore I am afraid. So it's, it's a loaded experience fear. It's, it's not just the thing itself. It's everything else. Yeah. You know, a lot of, okay. So the first day at camp, we um, ask in a, in a couple of words, what does it feel like to be you most of the time? And, you know, it's, it, they're heartbreaking and devastating. And we're talking about answers from, you know, kids from Fire Mountain to the, the prom king. And they all, I'd say 97% come back with, I feel like I'm a mistake. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I'll never succeed. And nobody loves me. I, you know, all, all of that. And it's just devastating. I had one kid say, you know, I don't mind. Okay. What did he say? <laughs> what does it feel like to be you most of the time? He says, it feels good when I'm being Johnny. I don't like being me, but I like being Johnny. And so we send this fake self out into the world. You know, this book I read, she says, we send our representative into the world, you know, and 
when the representative can't show up on top of you, how can we change that? And I will go right back to my platform for the most part is beliefs drive behavior. And we showed them very meticulously how we came up with those beliefs and that we can change them. And I, I will try and give you a quick nutshell here. One of my teachers says, you have a degree from MSU, and that's make shit up university, my friend. And so A Course in Miracles says we're never angry at an event. It is always our interpretation that upsets us. So, for example, you're walking across the, you know, back at school and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's my best friend, Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. Suzanne. She's not waving and she looked and turned away. So Suzanne didn't wave. That's what happened. But I go to make stuff up about that. So Suzanne didn't wave. That means she doesn't like me. That means she found out my secret. That means she whatever it is. So then we get into the belief that drives the behavior. Suzanne didn't wave. That means I don't have a friend anymore. What do we do with that feeling? We go medicate it because it's so painful to be such an inadequate human being. And that's where if we can go back and say, what else might be true? As opposed to everything you just made up, what else might be true? Well, maybe Suzanne got glasses over the summer. Maybe Suzanne actually didn't see me. But we create an entire story around this and live it as if it's so true. So, you know, the funny thing is later in the day, if you haven't totally quit school and you're walking down the hall and and Suzanne walks up, she's like, oh, my gosh. Hi, Diana. How are you? And you just look at her and go, bitch, and walk away. Now you've totally alienated your best friend who really just didn't see you. But we live in our own story that we've created, our beliefs, and they're so painful that we have to cut them away, drink them away, use them away, whatever it is, to change that. So when we break down for them, it's amazing to see them get it. I can only imagine that because people, if you know, if someone brings a whole class or a football team to you, that this experience with you is pretty bonding. Is this something that a family could come do with you? And and just, you know, the five of them, the, the three of them go out on the lake together and it's all applied to their life as a family. I would love to do that. One reason especially is because it sets the playing field and boy, you get to see, and I'm sure you do, you get to see the dynamics of, you know, how parents do the exact same thing. You know, we're we're talking about kids and how they do that, but what happens to kids is they grow up and they become adults and they continue to do that. Everybody does it. So if we can get them out there, you know, I would start them out separately and have them both learn this philosophy and then actually bring them together into this oh my God moment where a parent's not trying to be superior, they're not trying to make you be perfect. And really on the other end of that is that they stop making stuff up too. You know, the, the hardest thing is, is when a parent believes that what kid does or doesn't do defines who they are. My mom said to me once when I came out, the closet as a lesbian and for years 
she would say, why did you do that to me? To you, I wasn't thinking about you that night, mom. But she's analyzing that, oh, Diane's gay or Diane's a, a junkie or whatever it is. That means I'm a bad mom. That means I did something wrong. That means yeah, that no matter what she did, she wasn't good enough. Yeah, exactly. You know, all we can ever give is what we got. I love, I love that example. When we talk about this at camp and we talk about deeply about this, is I'll turn to one of the kids and say, give me an artichoke. And they're like, well, what? Give me an artichoke. I'm like, I don't have an artichoke. That means you don't love me if you won't give me an artichoke. Like, <laughs> you failed. It, it really is that ridiculously wow. similar. That, you know, if I'll bet if John gave you an artichoke and I asked you, I'll bet you could give me one. And she's like, yeah, you know, and and so we actually teach them that you can let your parents off the hook. You know, you've probably read about the five love languages. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I, I realized that my job as a grown child was to decipher the code that my mom spoke in. You know, her, she was always trying to support me, but to me, that felt like condemning and judging. And always everything is going to come down to choice. You know, do I want to stay a victim or do I actually want to be more free? And again, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. So, Owning that and not being a victim, you know, I, you've probably heard it. There are no more victims. You don't get to be a victim anymore. And, you know, between you and I, Aaron, being a, an alcoholic and drug addict in recovery is one of the greatest things and gifts that I could possibly ever have received because I was driven so much that I didn't want my life to keep going that direction. And so I actually had to stop and look at those things. And normal people, you know, they say that um, until you've reached a certain level of pain, you won't do any work, you know, because it's not in, in, as an alcoholic and drug addict, it's imperative that I do that work. And these poor normal people out there, they hurt and they probably hurt a lot sometimes. But it hasn't hurt them enough that they realize that there's something better. You know, so I guess my mission or my message always to parents is break your stuff down. You know, the, the biggest difference, um, a simple way to look at it is my mom would say, why did you do that to me? Because we love being victims. But man, if you take off those two tiny, tiny, tiny words to me, and you can say, why did you do that? Then suddenly compassion gets activated. Then suddenly it's not a fight back and forth of, I have more power than you. I'm going to make you this. And, and, and all of those defensive feelings, you're making me a bad mom. Well, no, because if you're free from being a victim of whatever your kid is doing, then you can show up like a friend. Then you can show up in a space to help them and not this rapid, I've got to change you, you've got to change, so I'm happier. You're still dead on it. When I stopped 
using drugs, I was drinking instead. And when I stopped drinking, I was involved in toxic relationships. And when I stopped toxic relationships, food issues emerged. And it was around the food issues that I said, ah, oh, crap, it's me. Because I was the one common factor in everything that I did. And no matter, no matter where I went, there that addiction followed. No matter what, what was happening in my life, I could always look in the mirror and say, there you are. Here you are again. What, what are you doing? And so my work in recovery became not, uh, my name is Aaron and I'm an addict, or my name is Aaron and I'm an alcoholic. It became, I'm an addict and my problem is Aaron. And that allowed me to really focus on the problem and what Aaron's problems were and deal with Aaron's problem. In the facility, we call it mirrors up. You know, this this boat isn't working. My boat's broken. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, yeah. It, it, when, when, we, when I ask people, when I do big talks and we, we do an exercise and they have this big breakthrough moment, I say, does it work? And they, yes. I say, does it work? Yes. I said, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't exist. I'm only here because you're here. I'm only, it is only something because you're with it. You're the thing that's making it work or not work. And that's hard when your kid is struggling really, really deeply. But what you have said over and over and over, the one, the one word that I keep hearing in everything that you've talked about is experience. And I don't mean like you've had a lifelong experience or you've had years of experience. I mean that you take something that's living inside them and you let them experience it on the outside. Their struggles that they're going through on the inside. Now they're going through in their boat and you're asking them to solve these struggles and then asking them how they're going to take the solution back to their life. Yeah. There's something amazing and I still can't describe how it happens. You know, I think connection is a big part of it. If you say to kids, what does vulnerable mean to you? Like, what describe that? And you're going to hear it means weakness. It means, you know, I'm less than. And then I get to turn that around and say, okay, here's my story. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I don't matter. And because of all of those things, I had to use drugs. How do you feel about me when I say that? Do you think, wow. She's just a wuss up there, man. Can't believe that. Or do you celebrate that and go, wow, I feel so much more connected to you. Because so many problems drive from, you know, like I said, sending Johnny out to the to the world and just hiding that inside you that you're so afraid if somebody sees, you know, so don't ever be vulnerable. But then again, you love seeing it in other people. So I hope that I can create, you know, by telling my entire story on a heartfelt level, that I can create an opening where they feel like they can safely say, yeah, I don't belong either. And I want to kill myself most of the time. And then we have a place to start because nothing happens without connection in the beginning. You're also asking them to connect to the boat and nature and the wind and the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have their own terms. What do you mean? Well, that's I, I love it. It's it's you don't get to tell the wind what to do. You know, oh. <laughs> you don't get to tell the water what to do, and you can only control part of the boat. You can't change the shape. 
uh, you might be able to turn the boat based on what the wind and water are deciding. But this is life on life's terms. And that's hard. That's hard to manufacture. Yeah, it's there is something about taking the two greatest, strongest forces on the planet, one being wind, one being water, in finding how you can work and create a partnership. And you don't even realize it's happening. You know, I love the mind-body connection where your body gets the physical experience of, one, changing your thinking. Two, you realize that you got the boat back up, so maybe you can recover when you fall down. You know, emotional self-rest. I had a kid say, what I learned about myself is that I can change the way I feel by thinking something good about myself if I made a mistake. And, you know, Nick, one of your um, old staffers, um, I think he was just astounded. And he said, you know what? You're going to have so much fun. You won't even realize you're changing. (laughs) And and you create muscle memory on a subconscious level that you don't even know you're doing it. But then it's there. You know, you, you and these lessons will stick with you. One of my favorite ones is is on the back of the boat when you're driving. Like you can't sit in the way of the steering wheel of the tiller, and so it's the no butt zone. And so we have a whole half an hour that we talk about staying out of the no butt zone. Well, I'd write a book, but I'd ask but. Jenny to the but, you know. So stay out of the no butt zone. And it just it continues to blow me away every, you know, kids will tell me lessons. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, here's what I think. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think of that one. You know, little changes make a big difference. Um, we talk about being in irons, which is an old term when you try to sail directly into the wind and you can't, you get stuck. It's the wind has a certain piece of the pie and you can go everywhere else except directly into it. So stop trying to take the thing that is not yours to have because you literally end up in irons, which happens when you steal an iPhone, which, you, you know, stop trying to take what's your, and it blows me away that they get that and their body gets it and their body will drive them as much, if not more than their mind. Fire Mountain <laughs> is based on two elements, the fire and the mountain. And I always joked that if I was to open a success, another facility, it would be called Windy Waters. And it, it dawned on me that while we're talking, while I've got the fire in the mountain, you've got the wind in the water. You've got the other two. So we've created the complete circle. You have, and I have seen it over and over and over with the kids who have trained with you. You have a way with these kids with that when they come back, A, they're totally in love with you, and B, they've experienced a part of themselves that the sit on the couch and talk about your therapy feelings takes forever, if ever, to achieve. And that's experiential learning. That is the way to take these people who are locked up inside themselves, locked up in their heads, locked up in their hearts, locked up in their bellies, and locked up in their hands and feet. And they've got analysis to paralysis or imagination to stagnation. And you get them moving. You put them out on the open water. 
So throughout all this, as we begin to wrap up, now I'm a parent and I got a kid and I say, oh, they would love this. How does this family find you? How do they get in touch with you, Diane? Give me a call. We've got a website, abletosale.org. I mean, that's A-B-L-E-T-O, sale, as in sailboats. I kind of have to say that in Colorado. They know what sale means in Florida, but abletosale.org. You'll find my email is diane at abletosale.org. My phone number and address are all in the, in the website. I would so welcome a conversation with you know, any parents, you know, because we, we don't just take groups. It's, you know, you can sign your kid up just as a general public. You know, I love that. I love that you love adventure therapy. You know, there is a, a if you want to look it up on the web, I would so encourage that. There's a study that says that 62% of adolescents who participated in adventure therapy are at an advantage for coping with issues than adolescents who did not. So that's where I would go with that. That's awesome. Diane, thank you so much for doing this with me. I appreciate you. I know I'm going to have you back on. I know I'm going to get some questions about your stuff. Folks, if you want to get your kiddo hooked up and connected, your family, your church group, your football team, your girls softball team, you want to get them connected up with Diane, go to abletosale.org, A-B-L-E-T-O-S-A-I-L.org. You'll get all our information there. Diane, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you every time. And when I don't know that you're going to be there and you're there, I, you just make my day. So I really appreciate you. You know, I would um, just kind of throw this on the back end as, you know, parents need to know this also. And I've tossed around the idea of doing the grown-up, grown-ups at Able to Sail. So I haven't put it into play yet. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics of that. But man, to get a parent on one side and a kid on the other side who are not getting along and to get them both to find that place of vulnerability and wow, I didn't realize I'd do this to you is I think just would change the whole family dynamic and there's so much healing in that. So I'd love to hear your audience thoughts about that. Shoot me an email. We're on Able to Sail uh, Facebook page. So, you know, I'm pretty easy to reach. Awesome. And love some feedback on that. Perfect. Folks, get in touch with Diane. You'll be happy you did. Diane, thank you so much. I'm going to uh, sign us off, and it won't be long before you and I talk again. Folks, remember the rules are you take care of yourself first, take care of your adult relationship second, you take care of your children third, because in that way we do our best work with the children. Mm. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk again soon. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>